Today is the last Sunday of the series we've been in called The Body, exploring what it looks like to be the body of Christ, to be the church. Uh, Next week we'll jump into a Lenten series for six weeks. And so as we've been exploring what it means to be the body of Christ, we've been spending most of our time in this letter called 1 Corinthians. It's this letter that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, a young group of uh, Jesus followers, new Jesus followers in Corinth in the midst of the Roman Empire in the first century. And so if I can have that first map up, you can see Corinth there. Uh, It's situated right between northern Greece and southern Greece. And this is where this church was. And Paul is writing to this group of people, and he has a lot to say to them. This is, uh, I think, Paul's second longest letter that he wrote. And so he has a lot to say to the people in Corinth. And a big chunk of what he has to say has to deal with a number of different disputes that are going on within the church, and we've talked about those. One related to how they were practicing the Lord's table, communion, how they were participating in this, and how there were divisions in their midst between rich and poor, and how they had uh, taken on what Roman society had given them, a sense of hierarchy. And they uh, brought this into the church, that there were those who were better than others. And they did the same thing with what's called spiritual gifts, these gifts given from the Spirit. That There were some in the church that said, well, that there are certain gifts that elevate people above others. And Paul says, every part of the body matters. There is no part of the body that is more important than the other. And these gifts that are given to you are not given to you so that you can boast. They are given to you for what Paul calls the common good. They are given to you to bless and encourage and benefit the entire body. There was another dispute going on in Corinth, one we're going to look at a little bit today, and it had to do with meat. Meat. Can you believe that? It had to do with meat. Uh, now, in our day, there's plenty of uh, debate about meat, right? The, the way the animals are raised, the way they're slaughtered, uh, whether or not they've been injected with hormones, uh, the, the potential environmental impact uh, caused by the meat industry, the impact on the poor caused by the meat industry. There, there's plenty of debate around meat. The, these issues weren't even on the radar in the first century. These are modern-day issues we wrestle with. Uh, In the first century, the issue surrounding meat had to do with when it was offered to or sacrificed to idols. So, to to give you a sense, if I can have the next slide, uh, this is an overview of what an artist thinks that Corinth looked like in the first century. This huge building in the middle, that is the temple to Apollo. There's another building just above it, and if I can have the next slide, it's more clear. So the, white, uh, the two white buildings, one is the temple of Apollo, the other the temple of Octavia. These were two of the gods that were worshipped in Corinth. And what would happen is often meat was brought into these temples and offered to the gods, 
And then in the Agora, the open space there, the market, it would be sold. And so there was a debate in Corinth amongst the Christians. Can we eat that meat that was offered to Apollo or Octavia? Or should we abstain from eating that meat? Uh, the next two slides just show you modern-day uh, ancient Corinth. There's the remains of the Temple of Apollo. And then there's a closer-up of what it looks like. And so, uh, believe it or not, in the church, there were two views on whether or not you could eat this meat. There was one group that said, hey, we, we have freedom in Christ. We're free to do whatever we want, and we can eat that meat, and it doesn't taint us at all. There was another group that said, listen, you don't understand. My life was so embedded in the worship of Apollo, in the worship of Octavia. My life was so embedded in idol worship that to participate in anything that has anything to do with that old life is wrong. And so this group of people said, no, we're right about this. And this group of people said, no, we're right about this. Uh, what's beautiful about what we're going to look at today is that largely for Paul, the issue isn't if you can eat the meat or not eat the meat. It's an issue of how do you love well? How do you love well? So let's look first at 1 Corinthians chapter 8. He says, now, about food sacrificed to idols. So he knows this is an issue in the church at Corinth. And so he's, okay, let's talk about it. Now, about food sacrificed to idols. We know that we all possess knowledge. But knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. But whoever loves God is known by God. So he says, now about food sacrificed idols. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If you're reading this, if you're reading this in Corinth in the first century, you're saying, okay. What does that have to do with food sacrificed to idols, Paul? Let's, let's get to the point. So he continues, verse 4. So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols. We know that an idol is nothing at all in the world, and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came, and for whom we live, and there is but one Lord Jesus, through whom all things came, and through whom we live. See, Paul will talk about food sacrificed to idols and whether that's beneficial or not, and what they can possibly do or not. But he's less concerned about giving them direct instructions on this issue than he is about helping them see that the best possible way to live is to love well and to recognize what they already know. There is but one God, and we worship that one God. 
These idols, they're nothing. They're nothing. He'll, he'll go on talking about this, and I invite you to read through uh, 1 Corinthians 8, 9, and 10. But I want to jump in to 1 Corinthians 10 because he builds to a point in talking about this in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 23, where he's, he's quoting this uh, kind of saying that, it, that would go on in Corinth, and it was, everything's permissible. Everything's permissible. Uh, my Bible translates it, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. So he returns to this issue of love. What's beneficial for the other in this situation is the question Paul is asking. He says, listen, you, yeah, everything's permissible. He's not talking about issues of morality here. He's talking about uh, the so-called gray areas of life where, you know, it, it's fine and good to do that thing. Paul's asking, it, but is it beneficial? In other words, is it best? Is it the best possible thing you could do? Sure, it's permissible. Is it beneficial? Does it build you up? Does it build others up? Does it encourage your heart and relationship with God? And so for me, as I was studying this this week and thinking about Lent coming and this historical practice of giving something up for Lent, which is certainly not necessary. You don't have to give something up for Lent. The the reason the practice exists is because it's a helpful way for us to remember what's most important in our life. That what is most important in our life is not that thing, but our relationship to God. And so I've been thinking about this idea. Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. And I've been asking myself, what in my life is permissible but not beneficial necessarily? And if I can identify that thing or things, maybe that's what I should give up for Lent. Put differently, uh, what in my life is keeping me from being fully present? to God, and to others. I I wonder what that thing is for you. Uh, I would imagine that for many of us in the room, something that is permissible and fine, but not necessarily the most beneficial in the way we always use it, uh, and could keep us from being fully present to God and others, is a screen of some sort. Now, I say this on a day where in about three hours you're all going to be in front of a screen (coughs) watching a game. I heard there's a game today. Uh, Don't worry, Lent doesn't start for four days. Uh, but, But I wonder if there's a screen, whether it's your phone, 
constantly checking email or something, whether it's games, games you play that keep you from being fully present. Maybe there's that show that you have to watch every week. What if you gave that show up for six weeks? What if when you came home from work, the phone went away for a few hours and you didn't touch it? I can feel your blood pressure rising. Like, I can feel that energy here. That... I'm just asking, what if? Just consider it. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. Paul's talking to the Corinthians about their right to eat meat or not. Uh, For us, I wonder what our meat is today. What is the thing that might not be the most beneficial in your relationship with God and in your relationship towards others. Looking back at 1 Corinthians 8, this was also a saying in Corinth, we all possess knowledge or gnosis. It was very important for the Corinthian people to be knowledgeable. Very important. And so Paul says, great. Here's the thing. Knowledge can puff up. But love builds up. See, everything Paul is writing here is going to lead to this climactic point in the letter where Paul talks to them about what love really is. Where he says things like, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. Paul says knowledge can puff up. It it can lead to boasting. Well, I know. I know. I'm an expert in this area. I know. So Paul is getting after this human instinct to be right. I know I'm right. We shouldn't eat that meat. I know I'm right. It's fine to eat that meat. Like, I'm so beyond that. You're so backwards in your thinking. I'm right. You are so liberal and immoral. I'm right. We, we have this need to be right. What if we didn't need to be right? I think we face this every day. I find myself in conversations regularly where I know I'm right. And the other person knows they're right. And I have a choice in that moment. I I can argue my point to death to prove I'm right and present evidence that I'm right, or I can just let it go. What things are there that you're right about? 
that maybe are best just letting them go. Because knowledge puffs up, but love, love builds up. What is the most loving response in a situation where you have a disagreement? I faced it again yesterday. I did something that I thought was fine and good and right. And Jenna let me know it wasn't. <laughs> and I was like, oh. Well, it's certainly permissible. There was some, nothing immoral about it. But was it beneficial? Was it the best? Maybe not. Okay. And I simply said, you're right. What if we all grew in our capacity to be wrong? Or maybe differently, what if we all grew in our capacity to not know? I, I think I'm right, but I don't know. I, I could be wrong, and that's okay. Because here's the thing. We can be wrong in the way we're right. We can be wrong in the way we're right. You can win the argument, but lose the evening. You're with your spouse or a friend or a relative, and a little debate comes up, and you're right, and you're going to prove you're right, and you did. Congratulations. You won the argument, but you just lost the evening. Uh, you ever been on a family vacation where there's a disagreement? You can be right and lose the vacation. You can be right and lose a friend. You can be right and lose a family member. I know far too many people who haven't talked to a family member for years because they're right. And they don't even remember what they're right about anymore. They just know they're still angry and they're right. You can be wrong about the way you're right. What if we gave up being right for Lent? And we chose the way of love instead. Because knowledge can puff up. You can be right. But love, the way of love, love builds up. And this is what Paul is trying to get through to the Corinthians about. Listen, there's this camp over here that says, eat the meat, it's all good. There's this camp over here that says, don't eat the meat, it's all bad. And Paul says, not the issue. Meat, no meat, not the issue. Everything's permissible. But not everything is beneficial. 
Everything's permissible, but not everything builds up the body of Christ in love. Jesus came, and he showed us how to love. And Jesus got in plenty of debates with the religious elite, the people who really knew they were right. And so this isn't just let everything go. Let everything go. It's not that. It's recognizing that there are a whole lot of things that we hold really, really dear that maybe aren't that important. That love and the relationship are far, far, far more important than being proved right. Do you need to be right? To embrace love as the best way forward. Rather than being right, this, this isn't just a switch. Like, oh, I, I think I'll love here instead of being right. This takes practice. Paul says elsewhere that we have the mind of Christ. And so this is, what does it look like to allow the mind of Christ to become our mind? This takes practice. One practice in giving up being right perhaps might be the practice of silence. What would it look like for 20 minutes each morning to just be silent? And release being right, release your agenda, release your way of doing things, and just be silent and be filled up with God and his love. If we practice silence, it just might enable us, when that conversation happens later in the day, to practice being silent in the moment. Because sometimes silence is the best response. Because the, the instinctual response that rears up within us is one of a posture of, defensiveness, it's our ego coming to the surface, our need to be right. And so in these situations, there will be a very real, uh, almost defeated feeling where we have to let go of our hurt ego and just be okay with not being right. Paul is imploring these Christians in Corinth to love and to not worry about being right. Being right is why we have over 30,000 denominations today. Because people had to be right. And if we cannot exist as a church together, 
with different views and different ways of thinking, we are doomed to failure. Because I know enough of you well enough to know that there is a whole lot of diversity of opinion in this congregation. We could make as many churches as there are you. And on some days, we could make twice as many because you flip-flop. But that isn't your true heart. And it certainly isn't God's heart. We are one, yet different. Because we choose to love. We choose the way of love. And we will continue to choose to break ourselves open and pour ourselves out for the sake of each other and the world. Just as Jesus broke himself open and poured himself out for the world. When we come to this table, we come as different people with different perspectives and different gifts and and a whole array of different backgrounds and ideas. But we come and we partake of the one loaf and the one cup because by God's grace, mysteriously, we are one, though we are different. Today, let's choose the way of love. I wonder for you today, as you come and partake, as you dip this bread in this cup, I wonder for you, uh, what, what is permissible but not beneficial in your life? What, what would it look like to just say, just for six weeks, I'm going to go without this. Just for six weeks. Let's just see how it goes. What would that look like for you? What is permissible but not beneficial? And then secondly, as you come, I wonder where, where are you right? But, but in that, where are you wrong in the way you are right? Where might you be wrong in the way you are right? Is there someone you need to apologize to? Is there someone you haven't talked to for months because you're right? Is there someone you need to call and begin restoring that relationship? Where might you be wrong in the way you are right? God, we thank you for this ancient letter that still so clearly communicates to us today. Something like food sacrifice to idols seems so foreign to us, and yet what we can learn from this group of people nearly 2,000 years ago and Paul's words to them is so poignant for us today in our own lives. God, I pray that you would fill us with your heart of love for each other, and for the world. God, give us the capacity to love well. And God, give us your grace, both for ourselves and for others. 
In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So as you go this morning, may you go in the knowledge of God's love for you, and may that love flow through you to everyone you encounter. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his countenance towards you and give you his shalom, the very peace of Jesus that surpasses all understanding. Grace and peace be yours. Amen.